0: Hello, everyone. It's Aidan Lang here. Um, Normally, I do these podcasts on my own, but uh, we are on the first day of rehearsal. There's a music call going on, so I took Lindy Hume, our wonderful director, out of rehearsal to join me here. Lindy, welcome to Seattle.
1: Thanks, Aidan. It's great to be here.
0: We're really excited about this new production of Count O'Ree with your wonderful colleague, Dan Potra. Uh, What's it like working with Dan?
1: Well, Dan and I have worked together for... Ooh, I want to say something like 20 years. Yes. I know. And amid that number of years, it's been a, f- a few Rossini operas. We've done The Barber of Seville in Houston and, uh, and Cenerentola in New Zealand and in Australia and Germany and later this year in America. We opened The Barber of Seville, our new production of The Barber of Seville in Brisbane just, just minutes ago <laughs> practically minutes ago. <laughs> in Brisbane. And so now we're here and ready for the next Rossini comedy and I'm very excited.
0: People know Barber, but um Count Aurie is brand new to Seattle. So what do we what can we expect from a piece? How is it different from Barber? And what sort of piece is it?
1: Well, it's quite different from Barber in the sense that it is well it's obviously it's in French for a start. It is a different kind of a comedy. It's not so much of a situation comedy as as the Barber of Seville is. It's more of a, a comedy of personalities, of manners, and and it's very much based around this this unique character of the Count Ori who is really very much a very bad boy he's the sort of Don Giovanni of comedy he has a penchant for dressing up in in various disguises as religious figures in order to seduce women. And it's his crazy, reckless, hedonistic sensuality that makes this piece so unique.
0: I always think that comedy, if you go right back to the classical theatre, comedy was a way of for society to correct deviant behaviour. <laughs> and the, the, the punishment for that is laughter. I always wonder whether what this piece, what we're laughing at really is the male sex drive in its glorious absurdity.
1: Yes, but there's the other side. There's There's definitely the male sex drive in all of its glorious absurdity. That is very true. Um, but I think we're also laughing on the other side at the abstemious, abstinent, self-disciplined uh, piety of the kind of God-fearing ladies of the, the castle that uh, the Countess Adele runs, um, who really are just... Dying for a romp in the hay, and <laughs> uh, which they finally get at the end of the show.
0: So, stylistically with comedy, you have to make a decision on your approach in order to make it read to the audience. Yeah. So without giving too much away, because obviously um, our listeners will will be attending the show, we hope. But what what sort of line did you take on 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 the show visually?
1: Talking about comedy is is like talking about love. You know, you really need to experience it to know what you. What you, what makes, what turns you on? I'm a big fan of classic comedy, and and I guess the influence that come came immediately to mind with with this piece, which is set in medieval France, and has this this kind of messiah figure, the counter messiah figure, um, was of course, I guess it's a no brainer, but of course was Monty Python. I couldn't help immediately when I, as soon as I. F- sensed that as soon as I started listening to it and starting to prepare it, I must admit immediately the landscape, this beautiful French medieval landscape and all the peasantry and the sort of rather bruegel esque world that we that we're in, um, immediately started to take on a Terry Gilliam esque, slightly seventies quality. To it, so it has a it has very much an animation quality. It's definitely still set in medieval France, but with a with a contemporary twist. So that's one side of the 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 aesthetic. On the other side of the aesthetic was, was really um, trying to tap into a more modern example of the phenomenon of the guru of love that Count Horry professes to be in Act 1. And, I, and that imme- immediately began to uh, remind me of the sort of psychedelic summer of love period in the 60s and 70s, which was so incredibly important in American culture. So I wanted to bring in a little bit of a contemporary Americana quality to it. So we've sort of landed our aesthetic for the Seattle Opera production somewhere between a Python-esque medieval landscape and something close to a sort of 60s to 70s aesthetic.
0: We're here in 2016, and it's 200 years uh, since The Barber of Seville was written, what is the enduring appeal of Rossini's comedies? I mean you know, so many comedies were written at that time, most of which have fallen into obscurity, but Rossini has sailed above everyone else and 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 lives on to this day. What do you think is the appeal today? for us for a scene in comedy.
1: I, I genuinely feel you can actually hear his laughter, his spirit, his sheer enjoyment of, of writing. He wrote very fast, of course. Mm. I mean, the Barber of Seville was, he said, 12 days. As a, as a young man of 24, he, he whipped through the Barber of Seville and I think you can hear that momentum or panic or sleep deprivation or something. But I think with Count Ori also uh, and and, and love but and certainly Barber of Seville, you can feel the humanity of the man. You could feel the sense that he was a naughty boy. He loved good food. He loved good wine. He, loved, he was a great conversationalist, a great bon vivant. And I think that absolutely oozes out of every note. All the dynamics are so quirky and, and playful. And he just has a humanity that is irrepressible. That's what comes through. It just makes you smile, it and does, it's, it? it's 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 absolutely impossible not to smile when you hear our gorgeous singers singing that extraordinarily funny music. It's sweet.
0: Now, I mean, it's not easy music to sing, no. and that we know... What are the challenges of directing music like this? because it it has its own um, it has its own forms and it has its own dramatic rhythms. How free can you be with that and or how much do you feel what you do has to respect that, that structure?
1: Well, the first thing you need is, is good singers. The very first thing you need are people who can sing all the notes in in rhythm and and be expressive. The freer the singers are, the more freedom the director has to explore and and surprise and play. I think one of the particular challenges, as you will know, Aidan, of directing Rossini is... um, is the the sort of high mountain of the act one finale? <laughs> yes,
0: yes, there's always a long one finale. <laughs> you always, no matter you can
1: be, you can be directing any other scene in in the opera, but you know if you if you haven't finished that act one finale, <laughs> it's the way to go. And they do tend to take up proportionately quite a lot of the rehearsal period. And I see a lot of directors do give up. Actually, they do give up halfway up the peak and then they just stop and have a little rest and look at the view and that's fair enough too. But I do think that one of the great sort of challenges is, and joys and delights of, of doing what I do for a living is, is directing Rossini comedies because the act one finale is almost like a, it's almost like a personal quest to properly shape the staging, which is... Invariably goes from a sort of rea- reality to a complete anarchy. That's what he he did and d- did so beautifully, and to shape the staging accordingly and to take the audience on an increasingly bizarre ride, visually and uh, as well as musically. So that's one of the one of the challenges. Also, in this particular piece, you've got the challenge of the the most unutterably beautiful trio at the end mm, of, of the opera, which happens to be a menage a trois. Between
0: (laughs) Tell us what's going
1: on. Well, it's very complicated. So uh, you have the the Count Ori who is dressed as a nun, a sister, who is in love with the Countess Adèle. He's, in in fact, climbed into her bedroom to um, seek comfort. But she's also accompanied by her lover, in turn, Isolier, who is Ori's page. So it's all kinds of kinky.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> it's the ultimate measure, menage a trois. It, it
1: really is, and it's it, it's very, very sensual and sexy music and also just wonderfully beautiful. It's, I find it quite a, quite moving, that that trio. And then it's, it's interrupted by the arrival of the returning crusaders, <laughs> like you do, <laughs> and that ends the opera. So you literally go from the sublime to the ridiculous.
0: And the great thing about Condéry is it, it is written in French, and although it's unmistakably Rossini, that there seems to be a different quality. To mm. it. The music seems to have a different quality yeah. from, from some of his Italian works. It
1: does. It's 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 more elegant, and yet the comedy is more risque. Yeah, I think there's a there's a tension between the beauty, the sheer beauty, and the elegance of the music, and the utter boardiness of what's going on on stage. <laughs> yeah which is which is fun and you do need a cast again who are not just fantastic singers but people who are pretty brave because you can't do this stuff without going there.
0: <laughs> as it and were. If there's something very French you know I'm not sure if the Italians are quite so good at laughing at the church and <laughs> religion as the French are.
1: No, but this piece really does in the first instance he's he's dressed as a as a sort of wise Hermit <laughs> dispensing advice to young ladies mostly. I don't think the men are so keen on him, but mostly ladies, about how to improve their love life. And then having been given a tip by his his own page, he he decides to address not just himself, but his entire band of, of knights up as nuns and uh, in, they're
0: being pursued by Count O'Reilly. Yes, a, exactly. So it's touch, a very it? meta <laughs> So how raunchy is it going to be? I mean, is is this an opera for children, or or should we give it a, a restricted rating, do you think?
1: Well, well I, ha- I haven't started rehearsals <laughs> yet, so I don't quite know how raunchy it's going to be. I think it's, kids would probably enjoy it greatly. I think I would have done as a, maybe a teenager. But no, I think it's quite an adult comedy, but I don't think it's, it's certainly not X-rated, but I think they do end up in bed, the three of them <laughs> at the agree. end. <laughs>
0: And now you've not worked with Giacomo Sacrapanti I haven't, before, but, but I have
1: met him. him. Yes. I met him when I was in I was in Leipzig directing another Rossini opera, Cenerentola, and uh, he was conducting another Rossini opera, The Barber of Seville, in in Paris at the Bastille. So I had a really lovely day having a chat with him about Ori just before his matinee, his final matinee of. Barber at the bestie so uh, yeah, we met, we got on famously. Uh, he's he's the most wonderful Rossini conductor. Yes. It's going. We're so lucky to have him here in Seattle, as we are to have such a fantastic cast or two fantastic casts.
0: We have a lot of singers who are new to Seattle. Obviously, Larry Brownley is much beloved here, and Barry Banks uh, is making his debut. I think we we felt we were pretty lucky. In procuring the service of two outstanding aurees. yeah, what, what do you think is the challenge is going to be of, of directing two sets of singers?
1: <laughs> I've never done this. The Seattle schedule is has its own um, distinctive qualities. Of, oh, let's see how we go. But I know they're first rate singers, and they've all Barry and Larry have both done the role before, yet, absolutely. so I think they'll be very professional. And I'm looking forward to working with with both of them. So
0: let's talk about about the other roles. What's the characteristic needed for Countess Adele?
1: Ah, Well, I think it's a very particular kind of comedy because she's not, you know, laugh out loud funny. I mean, it's not, she doesn't have funny lines, but she does need to be able to sustain an almost continuous state of, how should we say, frustration, because what she really is, she's madly in love with Isolier, but she's taken a vow of chastity, so she can't do anything. About that um, those urges that she feels. So she is in a heightened sort of state of frustration, most of act one. and and also she's she's a very pious lady, so most of her persona is thinking a lot about sex but not doing anything
0: about it until so, the end. So in her big area in Act one. yes. so what's going on in her mind? Well, now?
1: in a way, she's okay, so she has sought, the advice of the hermit, who is, of course, Count Ori in, in disguise, the wise hermit, who has a reputation for, for dispensing advice about what ails you. So she's she's seeking advice from this hermit on, on her own pain, uh, and he... Accurately pinpoints the problem that she she needs to love. She needs to love, and then all her pain will disappear. So what she's going through is trying to explain this incredible feeling that is ruining her life. That she is certain. Pain that she continually feels and she's so, and until she's she's relieved of it she'd rather die. So this is um, an aria in which she expresses the inexpressible and of course Ori who's, who's listening with wide open ears and would love to help her out personally <laughs> is listening as is her the actual lover Isolier. So it's again one of these incredibly bawdy scenes. She has to be able to play that almost straight yes. I think and the two gents either side of her one of whom is in fact a woman dressed as a gentleman, need to, in a way, hear the subtext and respond to the subtext, whereas the text is very proper and good, but the subtext is obviously what she really needs.
0: (laughs) And that's what's so fascinating. One aspect of this work which is extraordinary is a lot of the music was written for Il Viajara, which was an occasional piece. And in that opera, this particular aria, is one of the characters arrives at the inn and finds her hat has been trashed. And it's exactly the same music. And so the and Yet the context is completely different, and we respond to the same notes in a completely different way. I mean, it is extraordinary. Isn't that funny? And as you say, that the context of the aria really is what provides its comedy. That's
1: those. right. And it's been a build up. We've, we've heard about the Countess and we've heard yes. about her frustration. We've heard how wonderful the Hermit is, and we've seen the effect that he has on all these other people. And we just know that when she comes down from her ivory tower up on the hill, Ori releases her from this bind and says that she must love again. And of course, it's almost like the lights are all switched on and she sees, see, literally sees the light. And yes. It's a gorgeous piece of writing and it's very, very funny. But the challenge for the soprano is to sing a fiendishly difficult aria. And be funny without trying to be that's funny. Right, yes. I think that's that's the trick. I mean, and it's the case with all of them. I mean, the last thing you want is sort of buffo, faux, funny acting. You just want everybody to be intensely serious about their roles because the, it's the situations that are funny.
0: That's it. And that's the the beauty of this piece. Is, yeah. Is that, um, it, it doesn't fall into those buffo moments. Which, no. which soap dogs some other comic operas
1: and also because it's so little known you can make your own world without bringing in the history of the of the piece. With everybody knows how how the comedy of the Barber of Seville works or should work or sometimes most often doesn't work. But I think the thing about Ori is it's a it's a blank canvas upon which we can write large what we think is funny and what we think is everybody who I've spoken to in the team and the cast are just so looking forward to doing this piece because they can very much make it their own. That's right, yes. Mm.
0: Well we, um, we have um, Sarah Coburn again who's very well known to our audiences here in Seattle. She is a fabulous comedian Mm -hmm. and Lance snuffer who's making a debut also is a marvelous young singer so Mm -hmm. i know you're going to enjoy for I'm looking ladies. forward to it. We have two debut, people making a debut in the role of Cramble, uh, Rodion Pogosov and, and uh, Will Liverman. W- what's he about?
1: Oh, I love this character. <laughs> hes I'm just calling him the wingman. He's the guy who sets up all of Ori's seductions. He'll warm up the crowd. He'll make sure everybody's prepped and ready for the arrival of this great hermit in Act 1. And then he'll make sure they all ooh and ah when he arrives. He's the guy who protects his master and makes sure you none know, of the back end of the tricks gets seen. And, and then in Act 2, he's, also, he's very much part of, he can't wait to get that nun's habit on <laughs> and then go scavenging around the castle looking for booze, basically. He, he's the guy who goes and discovers the cellar and the very good wine of the Lord of the Manor, and gets the nuns riotously drunk. So, Rambaud is a party boy. He's very much the party boy, and he's the guy who takes the fall when Ori is caught out in Act One, and and indeed in Act Two. So,
0: what you describe is so fascinating because we're although we're in this quasi-medieval time, and and we're talking about an opera written in the. Um, 1820s human behaviour doesn't change it does much, not does it? <laughs>
1: exactly well I f- always feel that there's more than a little bit of rock and roll in Count Henry. he really does have a uh a sense of, you know, life is short. Let's just let's just live it. It's too short for, you know, taking it all seriously. Let's quickly, let's see if we can bed as many women as we possibly can. In fact, there's a line at the end of Act One finale where he says, oh, I've, I've actually got one more day. I'm sure I can make this work <laughs> to invade the castle and, and seduce the, the countess who is clearly not for being seduced until he breaks in there and dressed as a nun. I mean, it's going to be crazy with both those guys, um, Larry Brownlee and, and Barry Banks, dressed as Sir Colette, the <laughs> modest <laughs> nun.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it's gorgeous, isn't it? Mm. And of course, um, the character of Isolier the page, I mean, it's, it's a bit like Caribbean, of reason he behaves badly is his role, his master is a bad role model. That's right. Um, and he, she, he is a fascinating young man. Again, we have two singers new to Seattle Opera mm. um, with Hannah Hip and Stephanie what we, What can we expect from Isolier?
1: Well, that's right. You're absolutely right. The role of the page is to to learn to be a knight and unfortunately this knight has taught his page too well. So almost immediately we meet Isolier as somebody who is setting himself up as a rival to the Count aure. He's fallen in love with the Countess and I, I, it, it appears to me that they've already started an affair, but she's closed off the affair in order to go into this period of mourning while the Crusades are on and so he's just decided to take matters into his own hands. It's Isolier's idea it's right. to dress as, an, as a nun, which he confesses to the hermit and, you know, just... Sort of, test out the idea. Of course, the hermit thinks this is a great idea. The hermit, who's Ori in disguise, thinks it's a great idea and steals the idea for himself and for all of his mates. So Isolier is really a chip off the old block and they are very quickly competitive. Halfway through Act One, Isolier changes his allegiance from Ori across to the Countess against Ori. So He's a little turncoat too.
0: Mm. <laughs> the other two characters are Tutor, which is played by Patrick Carfizzi, who's a, obviously no stranger to us here mm. at Seattle Opera, and Maria Zivchak plays Ragond. Mm. Maria was last here in 2005, as um, I think in Cusivantuti, I think she told me, but it's been a long time. So, what, what do we expect out of, of the long suffering Tutor? I mean, the fact that or his father has sent his, the tutor yeah. out to look look out for him to, to try and keep him brain.
1: Well, I think there there are no small roles in, the, no, in these, and there. I mean, you've got two mighty fine acting singers, singing actors, in those roles. So with the, the tutor, um, well, I've, I always feel with with him, he's he once i think was a rock and roller himself <laughs> uh, but he just doesn't have the energy for it anymore and now he's been hired by Ori's father to keep an eye on his errant son and it's really hard work he he has an aria in which he describes what he has to do to keep up with uh, with being have keeping the honor of being the tutor it's not none of which involves actually teaching him anything <laughs> it's all to do with keeping him out of trouble and wrenching him the latest girl off him or or Chasing him into battle or, or hunting or something that's fun, and getting him back on the straight and narrow. So the poor guy, the poor long-suffering tutor, is also dragged into this whole party dressed as a nun as well, sort of unwillingly at first, but then finds his old mojo <laughs> partway through the scene and is, is thoroughly disgraced along with the rest of the rest of the knights dressed as nuns. Ragond is a gorgeous character. I always feel like she, uh, like all the ladies in the tower, have taken a a vow of chastity and abstinence to recognise the sacrifice of the men off to war, but I feel like she's she's the sort of person she's she's on a really really strict diet and she can smell the barbecue next door, <laughs> so she's she's just longing for some something naughty to eat and drink, and so she she tiptoes her way down to the fields where the peasants are, are rollicking it up at a picnic with Count Ori. And she can't help herself. She has a very sensual side to her, uh, Ragond, that will not be suppressed.
0: The opera is a, is a, an evening of naughty but joyous fun isn't it? Mm. I think one of the reasons we, we decided to, to schedule it is especially for a summer audience um, a, a really fantastic night out but a sophisticated night out as well. No
1: it's very elegant music the cast is it's going to be magnificently sung, beautifully played with Maestro Sagripanti leading it and shaping it, it will be absolutely burst rate musically and I, I hope to do you justice and you do the company proud. The staging it's a fun show, it's delightful.
0: Well, Lindy, we're really looking forward to seeing the, um, uh, the end results of your labour. Thanks so much for coming with me to, uh, and, and giving us these insights into the way this opera is going to go. That's Thanks. great.
1: I hope your listeners all enjoy it. We'll, we, we'll prepare it with love for them.